Welcome to the Tanya Acker Show. Welcome to the podcast, Robert Coolbell. This is so incredible for me. I'm really excited to have you here. I grew up on your music, so thank you for coming. Okay, thanks for having me. You have no idea how many hours were spent, me around the rolling rink, uh, to one of the incredible icons that you and your band produced. This year, of course, marks the 50th anniversary of hip hop. Cool and the Gang is the most sampled band in hip hop history. What is it like for you hearing so much of your music played back and recreated? That, that's a great thing. I was told it was a 1800 samples. I had no idea we had been sampled 1800 times. And um, uh, over the 50 years of hip hop, of course, Cool and the Gang will be celebrating 60 years of Cool and the Gang, going back as far as the Jazzy X, the Soul Town Band, Cool and the Flames, and Cool and the Gang. So it's, it's a great honor to be uh, one of the most, not only in hip hop, we're one of the most sampled bands in the world. So the Jazzy Axe, that was your original band, am I yes. right? So did you always have music in your blood? Did you know that this was your path when you were a little kid? Well, I mean, uh, growing up in Youngstown, Ohio, you know, uh, my grandmother played a little piano. My uncles uh, would have different jazz albums, uh, and they would be playing the, uh, John Coltrane and West Montgomery and, you know, Freddie Hubbard and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then uh, listening to the radio, you heard Motown, and, you know, all that was going on back in Youngstown, Ohio. And then we moved to Jersey City, in 1960, and the band was formed as the Jazzy Axe in 1964. So when you look at music then, and when you look at the music industry now, how would you describe some of the changes, you know, both as a performer, you know, and, and an artist, and as someone who consumes music? How does it, how, how has it changed uh, over those 60 years? Music then, you know, you had uh, 8-track tapes, and then you had vinyl and CD, and, uh, and today we're talking about streaming. That's a, that's a lot of change right there in terms of uh, how records are sold and made. And then uh, back during that time, uh, we had a lot of bands touring uh, in the 70s, Ohio Players, George Clinton and the P-Funk Mob. Uh, the Follies and Truthers, OJs, it just goes on and on. So there's been a lot of changes now to what we have today. Not to say that these groups are not still working today, but now you got your Bruno Mars and your Ushers and um, the various other groups uh, of today. Do you think that streaming changes the way that people enjoy and appreciate music? Um, I'm not afraid of dating myself. I remember buying albums like when I was a little kid. That's actually why I remember I used to always want to go to the record store and my mother was like, you can't spend your whole allowance on records. Go get a job at a record store if you want to do that. So that's what I did. I got a job at a record store so I could get the discount. <laughs> you know, there was something about holding the album and then reading the lyrics on the back and then seeing the pictures. And I know that people can consume all of that digitally, you know, I, I do, but do you think it's different somehow, like, you know, losing that tactile sensation of holding the art in your hand? 
Yeah, I, I miss the good old days, what you just said. <laughs> they get the album, read the vinyl, read the credits, see who's playing on the album, you know. And then you have vinyl uh, that sold. You know, if you got a good deal, you got a dollar record. So that means if you sold a million records, you made a million dollars, and et cetera, et cetera. Now, if you stream, I, I got to be honest with you, I don't know where that stream is going. I'm not into the streaming thing, you know. But I understand that you get a wider audience, and streaming helps uh, for your live shows and your live performance, and possibly bring some commercials to the table. Or, you know, that, that seems to be what I know about streaming. But it's harder to keep track of the money, right? It's harder to keep track of the streams, and you've got to rely on somebody else's numbers yeah. about the streams. So it's interesting. It's, it's, it's interesting hearing that from you. You've accomplished, uh, you and the band, so much. Seven American Music Awards, 25 top 10 R&B hits, nine top 10 pop hits, 31 gold and platinum albums. Sir, what's the thing that you're most proud of? Like when you look at the 60-year-long career, where you created anthems. I mean, anthems, the most sampled music, music that everybody knows. When this interview was confirmed, I was with some friends, and they were like, oh my God, remember the roller rink, the rolling rink? Um, well, what's, so when you look at all of those things, what's the thing that you're most proud of? Well, it's, it's a blessing to, um, to still be around and to have accomplished all the various things that we have done. So I think that that's very important because uh, uh, a lot of people don't don't make it that long. You know, some make it ten days, maybe a month, two years, et cetera, et cetera. But going into sixty years, <laughs> that is an, indeed a blessing because the music. And you're still is, touring. Oh, sorry. Go. I'm sorry. Yes. No. 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 Yeah, we're still touring. Before COVID, we were doing over hundred shows a year, and it looks like we might reach it now. A hundred shows this year and. Uh, Last year, I mean, just a couple of time periods, uh, August of last year, we did 20 shows uh, in, in Europe. December, in Germany, we did 18 shows with the German Philharmonic Orchestra. And then we did a lot of casinos, a lot of clubs, and uh, that's what we're doing now. So uh, we're blessed to still be out there. There's only two of us of the original members that are still here. That's Mr. George Brown, my partner, and myself. I have members who've been with me for 20 years and 20 years and 15 years, and but I'm talking about the original, as we call the Magnificent Seven. You know, we only got two left. Is it still fun? Does it still feel fresh when you walk out on stage? It does, because we, we play for people and fans all over the world. So that's always a good feeling, you know, when you're in... England or Spain or Germany or Blaslavia, and then going on down to uh, Rio and uh, Chile and Buenos Aires on over <laughs> Japan. And so, you know, all those fans are constantly waiting for us, and we didn't see them for two years. But now they're waiting on us, you know? The album that uh, George Brown uh, put together is that uh, people just want to have fun. And his single, which is our single, Cool in the Gang, is Let's Party. So they're waiting to have fun again. 
they're waiting to party again. And I say to my fans, we're on the way. See you soon. I'm with that. I'm with that. Listen, I mean, honestly, just keeping it real, 60 years is a long time to be performing. It's a long time to be touring. And touring, from what I understand, you know, when I hear people describe it, it's taxing. It's tough. How do you stay in shape? How do you stay so fit? What's the secret? You try try to eat well and uh, eat the right foods and uh, exercise, get your exercise in, uh, prepare yourself. Because touring today, you know, because of COVID and all the other problems, uh, getting to the airports two hours earlier, going to the TSA lines and going to all those changes. Oh, it's a yes, mess. Go. Where you're going? <laughs> I mean, what happened to the good old days? You go to the airport <laughs> and get on the plane, and that's it. <laughs> I mean, it's very difficult, you know. So what kind of exercise do you do? Tell us, like, what's your, you wake up in the morning, and what is your regimen? Because people are going to look at you and be like, I got to have some of that program and regime. If you're able to keep touring and keep doing everything that you're doing, I think people want to know a little bit more about your secret sauce. So tell us about well, the day. I like to walk a lot. I get up in the morning, I try to walk a mile, two miles. Uh, try to do a few push-ups. I can't do them like I used to. <laughs> a couple of sit-ups, you know. Uh, just stand in shape. You know, I'm, uh, uh, I'm not a, a vegetarian, uh, but all I eat fish. Now, you know, I can't tell people to change their diet. They, people eat what they do. But, by just eating my diet, you know, I haven't eaten any meat in over 10 years, but I eat fish, so it has helped me. Now, I'm just talking with myself. Others, they do their own thing, but that's what I do. Let's go back to the music for a moment, and this is a tough question. I couldn't even answer it for myself because you have so many anthems, um, just songs that have become iconic. But do you have a favorite? Like, is there some piece of music, some uh, something that you've done where you're like, this encapsulates 60 years of Cool in the Game? Well, uh, there's quite a few children. <laughs> That's what you call them, children? <laughs> Your children. Uh, Hollywood Swing is one. Uh, that record broke in New York by a gentleman by the name of Frankie Crocker. He broke Hollywood Swing in uh, New York. He, he even called himself the Hollywood Swinger. Then I got to go to Ladies' Night, uh, hanging out in New York at Studio 54 in Regimes. And that's right when JT had joined the band. And uh, we said, wow, this is a Ladies' Night. Because it was a Ladies' Night you know, going into Studio 54 or some other club. So I came back to the band. I said, listen, I got a great idea. They said, what? I said, ladies' night. And they said, wow. My brother said, wow, there's a ladies' night all over the world. And then George Brown, who was one of the key writers, was, uh, he said, he was walking down the street in New York, and he was walking, watching how people were walking. Dong, 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 dong. <laughs> and we put that all together. I said, that got to be another one of my favorites, you know. Of course, um, you know, Celebration, you know, one of the most popular songs in the world today still. still I don't still think I've strong. ever gone to a wedding, like including my own probably, where that song was not played. I do not think that I've ever been to a wedding and uh, maybe, some, maybe something slipped through the cracks. 
but I would be very surprised. That is an anthem for sure. That's a real anthem. Well, speaking of weddings, you have celebration and you have cherish. Those are the popular ones, you know, at, at, from, from what I was told uh, at, at a wedding. What do you like to listen to these days? Who are some of your favorites? Uh, believe it or not, sometimes I just listen to classical music. But uh, I, I, I do listen to, uh, 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 right now I'm listening to Spotify. And Spotify is playing everything. And like we have a, a, a channel, a Spotify channel. And you hear a lot of our music, then I hear the OJs or the Delphonics. Then you might hear some uh, by uh, uh, Bruno Mars, you know. So that's kind of how you know, I zero in today. Let's talk a little bit, if we could, about some of your philanthropic work. Preserving music education is important to you. Talk to us a little bit about the Cool Kids Foundation. What kind of work are you up to there? Well, the Cool Kids Foundation was started and founded by my wife. I mentioned earlier about hanging out in New York, uh, Sakina. She uh, wanted to put music back into schools. And... uh, Coming up, you know, out of uh, high school, they had music, music classes. And, uh, I mean, I went to the class, and I took home the violin. Didn't quite like it. I tried the cello. It was all right. I tried the mellophone. I said, no, nah, I ain't messing my lips up. I had to play the bass. <laughs> the bass guitar. But I'm just saying that you don't have that anymore. So that's one of the things that she wanted to do. And what we do, uh, we uh, do fundraising uh, for the Cool Kids Foundation. Our next one is going to be July 11th uh, uh, in Livingston, uh, New Jersey. This is my fourth one. And uh, uh, we raise money and we donate money to schools and buy instruments and that kind of thing. I feel like I've heard or read somewhere, and I don't think these are bad facts that I'm spouting, that music education is actually good for kids in other ways, that it kind of, it it encourages and facilitates other types of learning. So that's wonderful. That's wonderful that you're doing that. How long has the Cool Kids Foundation been doing this work in schools? And are you only in New Jersey? Close to seven years uh, when she started this. A couple years before she got sick, uh, I decided to uh, get more involved with it because I, I was traveling a lot on the road. And then my two sons got involved. Uh, my uh, son, uh, Mohammed and uh, Hakeem, and there's uh, another gentleman by the name of Mark Goldberg who uh, does various foundations. Of course, uh, Angelo L.B., uh, my publicist. So we're all trying to, uh, to make it happen. Uh, I did a tour back about 10, 15 years ago, whatever. And uh, it was sponsored by uh, Coca-Cola at the time, Cherry Coke. And the thing was, it's cool to stay in school. We did 48 cities. And then the students that uh, had a good grade, good epidemics doing well in school, was able to do a meet and greet with us. And we were in uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, and uh, these four guys came up to us and said, hey, uh, I'm doing good in school. We're doing good in school. We're going to sing something for you. So these guys got together and, they, and a cappella, they, they, they sang about two or three different songs. 
And then so my, my, my cousin and my other cousin said, wow, we need to take these guys to New York. Which we did. And that group became Color Me Bad. That's true. Crazy. Group. What? Yeah. That's that crazy. Had, that was the coolest day in school, touring, and yeah, Color Me Bad. That's crazy. I didn't know that story. Oh, my gosh. So the moral there is that people should run around and start singing a cappella. You never know who might be listening. You never know what could happen. Less road rage, more a cappella singing. Tell us something that you think people would be surprised to know about you. Well, hmm. I spent a lot of time uh, in Africa over the years. Uh, At least... 30, 40 years. We did a project in Africa called The Children of Africa. It was done in Nigeria, had the blessings of the late Nelson Mandela. I have various groups that supported me on that. Working on something now in Zimbabwe, Angola, you know, Ivory Coast. So I guess what I'm saying is that I've been doing things in Africa uh, for many years. That's one of the things that some people might know about what I do and others might not. When you take a look back at your musical career, six decades, six decades, uh, Cool and the Gang has been performing and touring. Um, who are some of the artists who you remember most fondly? Like, I mean, I know you've probably met everybody, but who are the people who you're like, wow, you know, that person, that artist made an impact. Uh, they really, you know, a, a positive one. Who, who are some of the people who touched you personally? Well, I mean, growing up, you know, uh, which about the same age almost, Stevie Wonder, the things that he had done and his music, even uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire, and the type of thing that Maurice was doing and saying, and that whole ancestral uh, pyramid sort of a vibe that he was coming with. Then you had uh, people like like Miles Davis, uh, who my trumpet player definitely uh, was behind, and uh, Ron Carter, uh, Reggie Workman. John Coltrane, you know, it's, it's so many different inspirations. Marvin Gaye. Marvin Gaye. And then I have to give all due respect to the other side of the fence, you know, uh, the Beatles, uh, the Rolling Stones, Kid Rock, which we did 10 shows with about three, four years ago, Van Halen, which we did 48 shows with, you know. And we, we, we just been <laughs> doing our thing. That's a real uh, uh, mix of artists. What was it like touring with Kid Rock and Van Halen? Well, Kid Rock would say, hey, man, I sampled one of your songs. I didn't know that. I said, what, what, what song was that? He said, I got a piece of love and understanding. I said, okay, interesting. David Lee Roth was telling me, he said that back in the day, they used to play in the clubs out in California, uh, Jungle Boogie. A little bit of funky stuff. I said, I didn't know that about you guys. He said, yeah. And then uh, when we was getting ready to do the tour, people were saying, what? Cool in the gang? And Van Halen? What has David been smoking over there? Because he saw us in London. <laughs> yeah, he saw us in London at the uh, Glastonbury Festival. And that was all rock groups. And uh, he called up uh, Eddie and Alex. He said, I got the perfect group. I want to go out with us. Uh, for and this was a reunion tour, him coming back. And that's when he said, yeah, you know, you guys had ladies night, we had jump. And he said, 60% of my fans are ladies. I didn't know that either. And 
that's what happened. Your music, I mean, one of the cool things about Cool in the Gang uh, is that it really, because it's so iconic and like there are these anthems, it really crosses genres and boundaries. You transcend a lot of that. So before we go, there are so many young artists, people getting started, people who may be in the business now. It's a tough one. Uh, what's your advice for having a career that is as long and steady and successful as yours? Well, I would say stay strong, don't give up. Learn what you can about the music business, writing, publishing, how your music uh, is placed in various things, movies. Good lawyer, and make sure you pay your taxes. Because IRS is going to be your partner to the end of your life. 50 <laughs> 50 sometimes. <laughs> pay yeah. your taxes. <laughs> I got one more other thing that I didn't you said that people might not know about me. I have a champagne. The champagne is called Le Cool Champagne. Le Cool Champagne. Where can we find it? Is it nationwide? Not yet, in nine, nine, nine states, but uh, it came about, about, back about five years, six years ago, I'm touring in France and uh, in Paris, and uh, the promoter said, hey, listen, uh, I'm doing something with Barry, Barry White, and I'm doing something with uh, one of the Bee Gees, and would you like to have some champagne sold at your tour? I said, well, I don't know if I want to do that. I don't know if my fans would... Uh, want to buy a bottle of champagne after the concert. They're going to want T-shirts and caps. I said, but what I would like to do, I want to get on the shelves. So I guess I called him by surprise. He looked at me and said, on the shelves. I said, yeah, on the shelves. Like Dom Perignon, Berkeley Cole, Dom Renard, Chris Style. I want to be up into the uh, champagne country. And I came up with the name, Le Cool Champagne. I cut my deal with the Bertillo family, who was one of the strong families uh, up in Rims and Ypres. Now, in, in France, here, in France, yeah, yeah, that's mm -hmm. where it's that's where it's made, manufactured. That's the, that's the vineyards. But in America, we're in New York, we're in Georgia, we're in uh, Florida, we're in uh, Kentucky. Let's see, we're in Ohio. Uh, we just closed our deal in Vegas, and we have a residency in Vegas, and um, so we were pushing the cool in Vegas as well. So we're, we're growing, you know. It's uh, you have to build and you have to grow, and maybe one of the big boys would say, "Hey, I'll take you national." But right now, you're not a Don Perignon. You're not no Chris now. Not yet. Not, not yet. yet. I can't let you go now that you open that door because I feel like there's a big story in that, right? So someone says, here, why don't you maybe do this small thing, like sell some champagne after the concert? And you took that and you said, nope, you know, not really, I think, the thing for my audience, but let's go do something big, like create a champagne line that you now, and do a deal with a vineyard in France and get on the shelves in the United States. That is, uh, there are a lot of pieces to all of that. So give some advice now to young entrepreneurs about how to put all of those pieces together, because that, you know, that was an opportunity that you just 
built and grew um, into what will be the next champagne empire. Yeah, well, again, um, don't give up. Stay strong. When we first started, they said, well, you know how much money it takes to market champagne? Uh, you know how difficult that is? I said, yeah. I'm ready for the challenge. I'll deal with the challenge. I said, but do you know whatever they're drinking and celebrating down period, what song are they playing? Did you know that? <laughs> they said, oh, celebration. I said, uh-huh. So we got out, celebrate. Now, not only that we have celebration, we have a champagne to go with. We have a Grand Cru. We have a Blanc de Blanc. We have a rosé, and the ladies love rosé. And we got one called, this summer coming, the First Lady. We'll probably send you a bottle of that. You We're will? Ready. What? I'm ready for the summer. I do love a nice rosé in the summer. Okay. <laughs> oh, Robert right. Cool Bell, this was just a treat an honor, a pleasure. I am so glad you were here and I do hope you'll come back. Congratulations on all. Thank you for being around and doing what you do. And um, we're gonna look forward to the champagne. Robert Cool Bell, I appreciate you for being here. Thank you. 